for some international news where, you know, I kind of look, see it as my responsibility to give you bits and pieces about what's going on in other parts of the world just because all the news um, stations, uh, whether they be CNN or Fox or whatever, all they talk about is like, we are the most important people and look at what's going on in Washington, D.C. That's all we need to be concerned about. But there's a lot that's happening in the world and some of it makes it into the news. Uh, I think that's um, you know, quite a powerful story about Tetsu Nakamura, uh, who is this uh, Japanese scientist who's done amazing stuff for Afghanistan and for Pakistan and reaching out to, to people who have been distressed so much. Uh, and unfortunately, he was killed last week. So we need to think about people like that who have done good and um, unfortunately there are bad people in the world who don't want to see good happen. Um, so let's, um, you know, we want to um, think about people like that. We want to think about the, the Chinese-American scholar who was in jail for three years, more than three years, and Iran has just been released. Um, and we want to think about Hong Kong as well. You know, the turmoil still happens. Uh, last news that I got was that there have been, you know, thousands and thousands of people who have come out into the street, uh, and very peacefully so, very peacefully so. And we need to pray for our... Uh, for the young people in, in Hong Kong. Um, and then we need to um, uh, pray for our own church as we think about outreach. So do pray about the 14th. I, I view this as an opportunity for us to, uh, to uh, let people know that we are there for them. So nice people like Richard and Julia and others have prepared... Um, um, cards, I don't know where they are. Are they somewhere that people could pick up? Yeah, so you, if, you, if you get in touch with um, Gina and Richard and some of these nice people so that you're able to bring people. The whole idea there is for us to be able to, um, to be a witness that the Bible cares about issues that, that the world is facing uh, especially in the light of the Me Too movement that Jesus heals, Jesus heals. So would you, would you do that um, and, and come on the 14th, come and talk to individuals. Uh, there is, um, you never know what happens. You never know how God uses your testimony to bring someone to the Lord uh, at a place like Barbara's bookstore. So um, do that. Uh, on Friday, um, Gina and I had a meeting with uh, a, a person who runs um, something that's called Bible quizzing. Bible quizzing. And it goes all the way from uh, 7th grade to 12th grade, right, right Gina? Oh, 6th graders, provided you, you know, go on your heels or something. So we've got to teach them to, um, you know. Pretend that they're seventh graders. No, I think sixth graders can. Sixth graders can. So all the way from sixth grade to twelfth grade. And the whole idea here is to, to learn the word of God. 
and put it in our hearts and our minds, um, I, I still look back to, to those times where, you know, I was influenced by the navigators and by intervarsity, and I learned God's Word. I had, at one point, I had a package in each pocket. Uh, my, um, our, our firstborn was, um, was just born, and she wouldn't sleep right through the night. I don't know why, so... I was the night watchman, and so I would take her up and down, and then I had a pocket full of ugaritic, a pocket full of Akkadian, a pocket full of hieroglyphics, and a pocket full of Hebrew, Greek, and, and then uh, the Bible in, in those languages, and I, I learned it up. Uh, I was hoping she would become a linguist, but she did not. I don't know why that didn't rub off. I, you would have thought, right? Do you think it happens if... Mothers, when they are um, carrying the babies in their womb, if you start learning languages, maybe the kids will become linguists. Did you try that? Did someone try that? You tried it? Did it work? It did work. Your daughter is really smart. She knows all these languages, so try it. You know, those of you who are planning to have babies, start learning languages when you are um, carrying the babies. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. This, dear, we are in the season of Advent, very, very uh, hopeful time. We are not a liturgical church, and so we don't read through all those passages. So if we were a liturgical church, we'll probably spend about 15 minutes just reading the Bible. One passage from the Old Testament, today's passage is, is Isaiah chapter 2, and I think it's so fascinating. Perhaps I should, I, I think I did make a printout of it. So would you mind if I read this to you? It's so fascinating. It's from Isaiah chapter 11. Last week the passage was from Isaiah chapter 2, which talks about the shoot which, which will come from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch, and the word is capitalized as capital B. This is the Messiah. And everyone will say, yes, yes, we want the Messiah to come during the times of Jesus. Uh, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with justice, with justice, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, with the breath of his lips, will slay the wicked. Justice will be his belt and faithfulness the sash around his waist. The wolf will live with the lamb and the leopard will lie down with goat. Calf and lion and the yearling together and little child will lead them. The cow will feed with the bear and the young will lie down together. The lion will eat straw like the ox. The infant will play near the cobra's den. And the young child will put his hand, its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. 
The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Can you think about it? During that time when they were ruled by the Romans, before that by uh, the Greeks, before that by the Persians, they were singing these songs and saying, Oh Lord, when will this come to pass? So that's why just before Advent, um, in churches all over, these passages are read because the realization is that God who fulfilled his promises at that time will continue to fulfill his promises today. And there's going to be a second advent when Jesus, the same Jesus who ascended into heaven, will come down again and will bring about the kingdom of God. That is our hope and that's why we celebrate Christmas. Today we want to reflect on the first chapter of the book of Luke and reflect on what was the advent calling of people like Luke, of people like Zechariah, of people like Elizabeth. That is so powerful, right? Last time we reflected on um, what was uh, what was, does God have a calling? And, and obviously the answer is yes, God has a calling because our God is a missionary God. And the Bible says, the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Holy Spirit. Every time the people were perturbed and disturbed, the disciples of Jesus, like in John chapter 15, Jesus would say, yes, I'm going away, but when I go away, I will send the paraklitos, Parakletos, I'll send the one who's the Holy Spirit. You, you see those words, parakletos. The word kletos means calling. The one who will stand beside us as we follow the calling of God is the Holy Spirit. He will stand beside you. He's the helper. Sometimes it's translated as the advocate. But that's the same word, parakletos. The word kletos is calling, parakletos. And you know, what's the calling of the church? The, the, the word for, for church in Greek is ekklesia. Do you see that again? Kaleo, calling. It's not the building, and that's why I don't care that we meet at Sullivan Center and that we need to you know, do stuff that Sullivan Center requires us to do because Church is not a building. Church is people who are called out for a purpose. And that alongside the parakletos will accomplish God's purposes, God's calling for humanity. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That is the essential calling of Redeemer life church. But what do we depend on for this calling? And that's where we want to dwell all the time on the Word of God, right? The book of Luke begins with these words that were read so very well. I'm so glad we are reading the, the scriptures here. So glad for, uh, for Dana and Bob and for others that will continue to read. On the 22nd of December, we will be having a lessons in carol service where we will be just focusing on the reading of God's Word from the Old Testament all into the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. 
and, and different people will be doing that. We'll be singing carols. We'll be singing songs of joy. And, and then, you know, you, we should be so delighted that I'll be speaking for five minutes, maybe. <laughs> because um, the, the, whole, the whole emphasis is on the joy of the Advent through the reading of the scripture. So bring your friends, the 22nd of December. There's going to be the children's choir. There's going to be adults who are going to be competing with the children. And believe me, who's going to be the wowing factor? It'll be the children, right? Not us. You know, we, we've got our voices, but kids are the best. So bring them, the 22nd of December. Um, Luke chapter 1 and verse 1. I want to very, very quickly give you twelve, uh, seven marks of, of the gospel of Jesus the Messiah according to Luke. Who was Luke? Well, we don't know too much about Luke. What we know is Luke was a very close compatriot of uh, Peter. He was a very close compatriot of Paul. He was a very close compatriot of uh, of Barnabas, and he was a very close compatriot of John Mark. So he hung around with them, and they talked about Jesus all the time. Isn't that great that people talked about Jesus all the time? Do we talk about Jesus all the time? I don't know. I, I know of churches where the word Jesus is not even mentioned. Weeks together. Um, and that's rather sad, right? They talked about Jesus all the time. Here was this young person called Luke. Who was Luke? Well, scholars have all kinds of things to say about him. Um, it seems to me that Luke was, was a Hellenistic Jew. Who are Hellenistic Jews? Hellenistic Jews are those people who were brought up in the Greek culture. Maybe in Rome. Was he of mixed marriage? Maybe he was. There'll be scholars who'll say it seems to, to them that his father was, was Roman, perhaps Gentile, and the mother was from a very, very distraught Jewish family. Why did they say that? Because Luke talks about how Jesus heals the Marys of the world. What did Jesus do to the Syrophoenician woman? A Phoenician woman. How did Jesus heal her? How did Jesus heal this Mary and that Mary and all the other Marys? So, scholars have to kind of hypothesize and and talk about Luke. Um, what else do we know about Luke? Look at look at Luke chapter one and verse one, and it seems to me that Luke was a very very careful note. So what we gather from here is that the gospel of Jesus the Messiah is based on the diaries of people like Luke and others. James, the brother of Jesus, and, and, and the apostle Paul, and, and the apostle Peter, and all these people that Luke encountered. And so he goes on to say, inasmuch as many have undertaken 
to compile a narrative of the things which have been accomplished among us, just as they were delivered to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers or guardians of the word. And so he also undertook this, this whole goal. So the, the, the gospel of Jesus the Messiah is based on the diaries of people like that. We, we do something like that, right? I, I hope we keep a diary. It's deep personal experiences. In the morning when we get up, do I encounter Jesus? Do I encounter his presence? Let's write it down. Because there'll be a time when maybe we'll get Alzheimer's disease. I don't know. You know, or, or something like that. We'll forget about what were those encounters with Jesus all about. And blog about it. I think we should be bloggers. Um, where we, we let the, other, the people in the world know, I encountered Jesus in a very deep and personal way. That's what eyewitnesses means. Eyewitness is not just I witness something with my eyes. It's a very deep and personal encounter with Jesus. That's what people did during that time. That's what Peter did. That's what Paul did. That's what James did. And so it's so important for us to do the same thing. Secondly, they were not just merely ministers. The word is guardians of the word of God. These were people who knew that this was God's word. And I'm going to guard it with everything I have. Do you know that the people have tried, so many people for hundreds of years have tried to destroy the Word of God. I have heard, I go to this place where there's 12,000 professors that come from all over the world, and sometimes I will go into sessions and I'll just say, what's going on here? Because all so many people try to do is destroy the Word of God. Germans tried to do this. I heard this lecture by Rolf Rintorf, who's one of the most important Old Testament scholars in the world at Tübingen University. Here's what he said in his presidential address of the Old Testament Society. He said, I want to confess that we in Germany have had one goal in mind for the last 200 years of Old Testament scholarship. And then he went on to say, we have always wanted to destroy this thing called the Torah. This thing called the Bible. Why? Because it is the product of Jewish people. And we wanted to destroy it. That is the basis of 200 years of German Old Testament studies that influence French Old Testament studies and British Old Testament studies and, yes, American Old Testament studies as well. So there's a need for guardians of the Word of God. And that's what Luke is doing. And that's why it's recorded here. So the Gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, is by people who really care the gospel of Jesus the Messiah, secondly, is a fulfillment. It's not something that happens happenstance. We talked about that last time. God ordained this from the beginning. 
That's the word that's used here in Luke chapter 1. It was used in Mark chapter 1 as well. And RK from the beginning. And every time you read the Gospels, it'll always say that this is what Jesus did to fulfill. This is what Jesus did to fulfill. This is what Jesus did to fulfill. There's this intrinsic relationship between the Hebrew prophets, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, and the New Testament. Those are two intrinsically woven things to fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill, to fulfill. And you get the idea here that God is all about fulfillment, fulfillment of prophecies. I, I wish we had the time to go through all of these narratives, but as, as you go back to your homes, would you just go to that thing called the website of I don't know, any, any organization that truly believes in God's word will talk about Daniel chapter 9, Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, Haggai, Hosea chapter 11, Isaiah chapter 2, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 11, chapter 28, chapter 53, chapter 35. Isaiah's prophecy is so often repeated. The book of Psalms again, Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 16, Psalm Psalm 22, Psalm 34, Psalm 69, Psalm 89, Psalm 106, all over it's talking about the Messiah. And that's what Jesus did in Luke chapter 24, right at the very end of it. There were two disciples who were really, really perturbed. Jesus has now risen from the grave and he goes and he walks along with these people. And he says, why are you guys so disturbed? What's wrong with you all? You know, why is it that you're so depressed? Can you tell me something about it? And, and they said, well, are you a stranger? Where are you coming from? Don't you know what's happened among us? Our leader, our rabbi was killed. And he was buried. We buried him. And the authorities placed this, this huge boulder on the, on the opening of the cave. And then, we don't know, but these women came to us. They were all called Mary. Mary here, Mary this one, Mary that one. All of them came to us and they said, wow, wow, he's not there, he's not there. We are, don't you think we should be disturbed? And Jesus said, have you read your Bible? They didn't know it was Jesus. And he said, well, let me take you through Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. He had this amazing, amazing discussion about... All the Old Testament, he says, it's all about this Jesus. And then Jesus disappeared and they said, oh, this was Jesus. Wouldn't you have wanted to be there in that discussion? I mean, just pretend you're all depressed. I think that's probably a good thing to do, right? Because Jesus comes and shows up. And we need to learn that because that's so very crucial. Jesus did not come happenstance it was already ordained by God, and he comes to fulfill. Thirdly, the gospel is logical. That's what Luke talks about, that, that, that this is eyewitnesses, these are guardians of the word, and he is coming to write an orderly account. That's very crucial for us to keep in mind, because the gospel is the only thing that is logical. Believe me, I teach Buddhism, I teach Hinduism, I teach Jainism, I teach all the religions of the world. 
And every time they say, no, you should just go into this meditation and become nothing. Or you have this encounter with yourself and realize that you're God. It has nothing to do with logic. It has to do with this this experience that is like hallucinating. Whereas you have Luke talking about the logic of the gospel. Fourthly, the gospel of Jesus the Messiah is for both people. It's about excellencies like Theophilus. But it's also for people who are asthenes, which is the weak people. The gospel is for everybody. You see, in the other religions of the world, the the message is not for everybody. Hinduism is not for everybody. Hinduism is only for the Brahmins, the highest caste of people, because others are nobody. But Jesus heals the Asthenes. And Jesus heals people like Theophilus, who is in the Roman high court. He is probably the cousin of the king or something like that. We don't know. But the word that's used here is used of your highness, the queen of England, for example. That's the word that's used here. And then Luke goes on to talk about how Jesus reaches out to everybody. Fifthly, the gospel of Jesus the Messiah is certain. It is certain. And that's why we can trust the gospel. That's why we can trust the message of Jesus on the cross. That's why we can can trust the fact that we are saved when we come to this Jesus. We are not those kinds of people who say, I don't know what's going to happen to me after I die. The gospel of Jesus says, if you take this Jesus into your life and accept the forgiveness that he offers you on the cross, you can be sure that you are right now in the presence of God and when you die, you will be in the presence of God. That is the assurance of the gospel. Sixthly, the gospel of Jesus is historical. You know, I like it that the gospels always refer to Herod the Great and to Pontius Pilate and to Augustus, to Caesar Augustus. This happened in history. This is not merely some myth that people picked up. The New Testament And the Bible is the only document of all the religions of the world that is based on history. This is reality. There was a recent court decision in India which had to do with a mosque called the Babri Masjid and a Hindu temple that was built in honor of a Hindu king by the name of Rama. And, and, and if you go and talk to the scholar, all the discussions that happened is, we don't know if Rama existed or not. We don't know whether the gods of Shintoism existed or not. Or Buddhism, we don't know if Buddha existed or not. But we know that the Gospels are sure that Jesus existed. He was a living being. He lived. He healed people. He died. He rose from the dead. That is a historical fact. And that's why Luke is writing the Gospels. And then seventhly, these are Gospels which are a part of a family history. 
So you have Zechariah and Elizabeth. They both belong to the priestly family of Moses and Aaron. Joseph belongs to the kingly family of David. And he's fulfilling all the promises. But who are these Zechariah and Elizabeth? Let me very, very quickly go into giving you 14 marks of people like Zechariah and Elizabeth. So are you ready? The first mark is this, that people who are called to the gospel are those who always, always are seeking justice and rightness. Now you notice that every time the word righteousness is used, I mistranslated, you know, or I rightly translated, whichever way you want to put it. The the Hebrew then, the Greek word that's used there is not self-righteousness. Because whenever we use the word righteousness, we mean self-righteousness. Look how great I am. Aren't I a good, pure Christian? Well, look at me. I'm like a saint. But the word is other-oriented. It's people who seek justice. For people all around me. People who seek things to be done rightly for people all around me. Why? Because I want to be like Jesus. And that's a very crucial thing for the world to be looking at. The world, and the world is not looking for self-righteous people. The world is not looking for holy Joes. The world is looking for people who seek God's justice, God's rightness in the world around us. That is the word, both in Greek and in Hebrew. And that's what Elizabeth and Zechariah were seeking. Dikaios, dikaios. These are people who are seeking the rightness of God. Secondly, it's people who are called, people who are called to the gospel are walkers. They're not talkers. They live what they say. In Hebrew, the word is halakhov. It's walking the gospel. The world is looking for people who are like Christ. I've often talked about Gandhi, right? Gandhi said this. He says, you ask me to become a Christian? Two Christians, a group of Christians that are around him in South Africa who say, well, you've got to become a Christian. You've read the Gospels. You've got to become a Christian. You've, got to be, you've read the Gospels. And, and Jesus and, and Gandhi says, I don't want to become a Christian. And they say, why? 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 You talk about Jesus all the time. He says, yes, I love this Jesus. This Jesus is so amazing. But I don't see a Christian who is like Jesus. Show me a Christian who is like Jesus and I'll become a Christian. These people were walkers. They were not talkers. When we walk like Jesus, we earn the right to be heard. Otherwise, let us keep our mouth shut because we have not earned the right to be heard. Zechariah and Elizabeth were walkers. The Hebrew, the Greek word there is porio. The third lesson: people who are called to the gospel are those who are 
barren, the Greek word, steira, also means uprooted. It's people who people don't care about. You know, in, in India, of course, it's not good to be barren. Uh, when my wife and I got married and, and we went to um, this place called the seminary in a, you know, a, a, a one-horse town called Yavatmal, um, uh, everyone was coming to my wife and saying, we, you married, are you pregnant, are you pregnant? You're married, right? Are you pregnant, are you pregnant? That's the first question they ask. You know? well, you've got to be pregnant on the second day after you get married in Indian culture. Otherwise, something's wrong with you. Are you barren? Are you barren? You know, go to the doctor, get some pills, because, you know, you may be barren. Uh, this, this is the whole attitude against women in India and so many other cultures like that, isn't it? So in ancient culture, the Bible always notes that Sarah was barren. Why? Because people look down on her. When people look down on you, they'll uproot you. They don't want to see you. You don't belong to society. Something is wrong with you if you're barren. Isaac's wife, she was barren. There was uh, Hannah, she was barren. Throughout the Bible mentions that. Then of course here, there's Elizabeth. Because People would have looked down. We're an old lady. You don't have a kid. Something's wrong with you. But according to the Bible, God always used people who are uprooted because they really need Jesus and they really understand Jesus. There's this very sad story I read this last week of a woman in Nepal. I don't know if you read about this. I don't know why do I go to BBC and all these news reports because you hear about all this. There's a woman who died in Nepal because her family forced her to go into a hut when she was menstruating. And they lit this fire in the hut and she just died there. It's cold in Nepal. Because she was menstruating, she wasn't allowed to live in society. She had to go and stay in a hut for that many days. And she died there. Things like that happen to women. And that is the issue that the Bible is addressing here. Fourthly, people who are called to the gospel are those who simply do their daily vocation with integrity and do it well. That's how we show people that we are Christians. We don't show people we are Christians just by going to church and this Bible study and that Bible study. People should be able to see us at our desk or whatever else we are doing, whether we are teaching. People should be able to say, in the daily vocation, I can see Jesus on this person's persona. That's where we witness. We don't witness only in, on certain occasions like at Barbara's bookstore and so on and so forth or special um, um, you know, gatherings of large people. I don't know why they call crusades. I think we should have dealt with that a long, long time ago. I did a crusade here, crusade there. Come on, those crusaders were bad people. We become witnesses 
in our daily vocation. People who are called to the gospel, fifthly, are those who are always ethical in their daily vocation. The Greek word used there is ethos. When people say, this is a person of integrity, and this person I want to be like. Sixthly, people who are uh, called always have a whole multitude of people. Do you see that here? You know, here's Zechariah going to do his regular work, which he was supposed to be doing, but there is a whole plethora of people, just common people, are praying for him. That's how the gospel happens. It doesn't happen before because of people like me, believe me. It happens because common people pray. Fast and pray. A whole multitude of people praying behind him. Something's going to happen, expecting stuff. Seventhly, people who are called have, have certain extraordinary encounters with God in the ordinaries of life. Believe me, I've seen this all over the world. I would encourage you to read the testimony of this Muslim woman called Bilkis Sheikh. Bilkis Sheikh comes from a very, very rich Punjabi, Pakistani, royal family who encountered Jesus so powerfully. And she was expecting that to happen over and over again. It's so powerful. If you read this, this testimony of hers, it's called, I Dared to Call Him Father. She says, whenever I did something wrong or I was angry, I felt that the presence of God had left me. The presence of this loving Father left me. But when I obeyed him, I strongly, strongly sensed his presence. He was there right beside him, me, and I didn't care what my family did to me. It's supernatural presence of Jesus in our life that we will have. And we should expect that to have. Yes, even today and here in Chicago, in Libertyville, because people who know the vocation of God have extraordinary encounters with God in the ordinaries of life. And if we don't have that, let's pray. Let's yearn for that. Because God does that. He is God, right? If He did that in Acts chapter 1, if He did that in the book of Luke, He can do that. Even now, in our presence. Eighthly, people who are called are always troubled and surprised. The Greek word is terrasso, by their calling. You would never, look at Isaiah, look at Moses, look at all these people. The first response is not, hallelujah! But the first response is, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Is this happening? That's okay. It's okay to be scared. It's okay to be perplexed. It's okay to be troubled. Because when we do that, then we hear the, the voice of God's assuring presence. People who are called make sure 
that they hear God's assurance. And what's that? Don't be afraid. Go and do that. Don't be afraid. I mean, I have to hear that voice before I start running a marathon every time, right? Because it's 26.2 miles. Whenever we take that step, we can't do that in our own strength. If we are confident about what we are doing, whether preaching a sermon or sharing with someone, we've got to step back and say, this may not end up right. But if we are scared and we hear God's voice saying, don't be afraid, go do it. God will use us. And then all glory will be given to God. And then further, as we look through this text here, we gather that we receive, people who are called receive answers to prayers. And that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth receive, right? And many times it's in God's time. It's not my time. We are people who are McDonald's people. We want to go to Chick-fil-A and McDonald's and the latest cool thing that's happening among us, right? That is not how God answers prayers. It is in God's time. He knows what the right time is. And we just leave it into God's hand. We pray, we pray, we pray. And that's what Zechariah and Elizabeth did. And God answered their prayer at the right time. And then when, they heard, when God heard their prayer, look at the name that they give to their, to their, their son. What, what is the name that, that he, he's asked to give? In, in, in Hebrew, the word is Yohanan. Um, uh, we, we translate it obviously as John. The, the word Yohanan is a powerful word. It is a word that describes their own journey. And what is that? Yohanan means one who completely sees the grace of God and lives the grace of God. That should be the persona of all those people who want to be a witness. Living and seeing the grace of God. Twelfthly, when people who are called do not believe, then look at what happens. You lose your voice. We lose our vocation. Vocare. We lose our voice. And that's what happens to, to Zechariah here. The word believe is a very crucial thing. In, in Hebrew, the word is amen. And the word amen means I believe in you, God. My life is a life of belief. I trust in you, God. That's what we mean when we pray, when we end a prayer by using the word amen. We're saying, Lord, I trust that you're going to answer this prayer. So it's a life of trusting. And the angel of the Lord, Gabriel, here says to, to, to John, you, you did not believe. You did not believe. And so for a period of time, he had lost his vocation. Number 13, people who believe God are seized by the presence of God. That's what the word conceiving means. Do you know? It means to be seized by. Because it's a miracle. Whenever a woman conceives, she's seized by this miraculous thing called pregnancy. And that's what people 
who make a difference for the Lord do. There are people who are seized by the presence of God to see amazing things happen in their life. And number 14, people who are called thankfully experience the lifting of shame and disgrace. We talked about barrenness, right? It's so beautiful to see that what becomes a place of shame in society just transforms into beautiful presence of God and of honor. I know that our church is made up of second generation Asian people, but just talk, go and talk to your parents because we come from, your parents came from an honor and shame society. There are certain things that are places of shame and there are other things that are places of honor. What God does in the life of Elizabeth is so fascinating. That place of shame is suddenly transformed into a place of honor. Why? Because God descended and did a miracle. Why? Because they trusted that God will answer. Why? Because, because they trusted that if they live an ethical life, if they, if, they, if they have a group of people behind them, praying for them, constantly praying for them, they, they would see the extraordinary presence of God and it will be miraculous. That is what Zechariah and Elizabeth witnessed and experienced in a very deep way.